Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. It's good to be with you guys. I'm Pastor Justin here, and I just want to say I love uh, Damascus Road. I love that we get to come together on Sunday morning and we get to do church. Like, we don't just come and, like, sing some songs and listen to a sermon. Like, we get to share life together. We get to celebrate stories. We get to tell stories. And we get to see how God is moving in our midst. And that's exciting. That's exciting to me that we're a church that just isn't like, hey, come and see the pastor. Hey, come and hear great music. But it's like, hey, come and share life together and let's celebrate life together. I love that about our church, that we're a community that follows Jesus with everything that we have, that we're a community that looks to share life together, and we also look to go out and love our neighbors. And so we're in the middle of this series right now called We the Church, and we're looking at how God has gifted the church in uh, different ways. And our key text is in Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the churches, um, and he's kind of writing this manifesto of what it is to be the church and how God has equipped the church and what he's gifted her with. And in Ephesians chapter 4, we find these gifts that he has gifted us with that we've been walking through each week. And I just want to start there and begin by reading Ephesians chapter 4 out loud. So this is what it says. This is what Paul says to us, the church, because we're on the receiving end of this as well. He says this, he says, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body in one spirit, just as you are called to one hope in your calling. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gifts. So Christ has some gifts and he wants to pour out onto us. And he says that these gifts were that some would be apostles, some would be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers, for the purpose of equipping the saints. And you could say of equipping the church. You and I were saints. We are the saints of God as Jesus is in us. I don't know if you see yourself as that, but we are everyday saints, you and I. And so it's the building up and the unity of the church for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to full maturity and the measure and the full stature of Christ, that we'd be no longer children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people of trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful schemes, but that we would be a people speaking the truth in love, and that we would grow up in every way in him who he is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and knit together by every ligament by which it's equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. It's from Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to share something as we get into it this morning of something that God's doing inside of me. Um, inside of me, when we look at this passage, um, got my nice PowerPoint here. As we look at this passage, we see that there are five different gifts. We see that we have the gifting of the apostle, of the prophet, of the evangelist, of the shepherd, and of the teachers. And inside of me, there's this desire to be all five of them and be proficient at all five of them all the time. 
because I'm an achiever. And so I don't know if there's any other achievers out here, but maybe you're here and you're looking at like, which one am I lowest in so that I can go and like really try really hard to grow in that area so that I can be proficient in all five of these things. And it's true. It's true that God has called us to all these things and he has gifted us and all of these are available in us, but they're gifted in different measures and they're also gifted in different circumstances in different ways. And the thing is, is like, I want all five in me all the time right now because I want to be strong enough on my own. And I want to be able to strong arm the thing. And lately, God has been telling me, Justin, what do you do when you do this, when you think that you need to be all five? And I realize is that I create division between myself and the church because that's not how God created it to be. I actually isolate myself and pull myself away from community and believe that I don't need community, that I don't need you guys. That's not true. That's not true at all. I'm incredibly weak. I'm incredibly frail. I'm incredibly fallible. But in my pride, God has been weaning me and showing me, look, man, have an open hand and look at the gifts. Look at we, the church, around you and see how I want to work through everyone to achieve my vision for my kingdom, for my glory. And the problem is, is that when I want to be all five of these, guess what it's often not about? It's not about the glory of God. It's often about my glory. And the ways that people can look at me and be like, oh, Justin's such a great apostle. He's such a great shepherd. He's such a great teacher. Like, this is, this is real, and it's ugly. And it's not fun to be vulnerable and share this. But I just want you to know, like, this is what God's doing in me. And as he's talking about unity and building up the church together, God is freeing me. And he's saying, look, Justin, grow in the gifts that I've given you and be confident there. And then ask for help and seek unity and and encourage others who have the gifts that you lack in because we need each other. And I just felt like we needed to hear that word this morning from Paul and from me that the work that God's doing is that we need one another. So the word that God's been giving me is just, Justin, lead with an open hand. Lead with an open hand. Because I often struggle with control. I get a vision of how things should be, of how things should be executed, how things should be done. And then when those things don't happen and those expectations aren't met, I get mad and I get frustrated and I get discouraged. And lately, Jesus has been saying, open your hand. Open your hand, man, and see what I want to do in that space. And so maybe that's something for you guys as we think about these things. The last couple weeks, we've looked at the gifting of the apostle. And the apostle is the one who is sent. And they remind the church that we are a sent people out into the world, out into our neighborhoods, and that the kingdom of God is looking to go forth. Last week, we talked about the prophets, and the prophets are the people who hear from God. So they're the ones who hear from God and respond to him, and they're the ones um, who remind us and speak to us and call us into the ways that God is, is leading us. And so we did a lot of hearing and responding. If you guys want to catch up on the apostles and the prophets, I encourage you to go online, go on the podcast. We've also been sending out blog posts um, each week. We've kind of summarized the sermons. Those are also available online on our Facebook and on our website um, and probably in your inbox somewhere if you're on our mailing list. If you're not on the mailing list and would like to be, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to get you signed up for that. That way you'd get all the church announcements as well as uh, kind of these blog posts. But we want to give you the tools to enter into the giftings and the wirings that God's given you so that you can rise and that you can grow in the places where God has called you and given you the most strength and the most ability and the most giftedness by his grace. And what I'm learning is that that's key. It's by his grace and that it's not about me and that it's all about him, that these gifts are all about him and it's his kingdom and his glory. And so today, today we're going to talk about the evangelists. 
Today we're going to talk about the evangelist. And the evangelist comes from the Greek word angelion, which we get the word gospel. So we get the word gospel, and the gospel just means good news. And so the evangelist in the New Testament is someone who proclaims the good news. It's really a person, literally, who proclaims good news, who speaks good news, and who gives good news to the world. And so when we look in the Bible and we look at Jesus, it makes sense that Jesus is the good news and that Jesus is the evangelist. Jesus not only himself is the gospel, but he also comes out into the world and proclaims himself to the world as the gospel, as the good news for you and me and for the rest of the world. He comes out and he proclaims that he is the Lord and that he is king, and that he's here to offer everlasting life and salvation and freedom and hope to all people who turn and repent and come to him. And so when we look at Jesus, we will see in scripture this morning in John chapter 4 how Jesus is the lived evangelist among us. And in John chapter 4, what we find is that Jesus is with his disciples, and they're walking from Judea, a region in Israel, up to Galilee, and they have to pass through this other region called Samaria. And so I've given us a map to kind of understand what this looks like, the trip that Jesus is on. That's a crude drawing of Israel. Yep, there we go. Nice rectangle. So this is Judea. This is where Jesus and his disciples are. This is Galilee. This is where they're going. And they have to travel through Samaria. Now, there's some cultural tension between those who live in Judea and those who live in Samaria because those who live in Judea look at Samaria, the Samarians, and they believe that they are illegitimate Jews. And this goes back, yeah, there you go. Don't want anyone to miss this. <laughs> and, so, um, and so this goes back to um, after King Solomon's reign, there's a split in the Jewish family. There's a split over who reigns and who rules, and ten kingdoms travel north, and Judah and Benjamin stay south, and th these guys eventually become Samaria and the Samaritans. I don't know if you've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan, but that's where they live, and they end up building a temple to worship God there, and the Jews, they hold the, the holy line of King David, in place, and so they see themselves as the most legitimate form of Judaism, the most pure, and they worship God in Jerusalem in the t temple that Solomon built. So, just a little bit of context of what's going on. Now, the cultural tension between those who lived in Judea and those who lived in Samaria were so great that those who lived in Judea and wanted to travel to Galilee, you can see the straight shot is right through Samaria. But most people traveling and making this journey would go around Samaria and up and over to Galilee, even though it took longer. They would not be found dead walking through Samaria. But this is exactly where we find Jesus and his disciples walking on their way to Galilee. Because it just makes sense. It just makes sense. And this is what it says in John chapter 4. It says, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, and near the field that Jacob had given his sons to Joseph, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, 
ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, who is that is saying this to you? Give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw up water with. The well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He himself gave us this well and drank from it, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw up water again. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you are now with is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped at this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place that people ought to worship. You see, this is the two temples going on. She's asking about, she's deflecting, and she's like, But worship, let's talk about that instead. And Jesus says to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for the salvation is from, salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming and when he comes he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, who you speak of, I am he. Jesus confronts her and he says, I am he who you speak of. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. This guy that you're looking for, this guy that you're looking to bring fulfillment to all things that God is going to come. Jesus is saying, I am Lord over all. In many ways, to put the gospel very simply and very plainly is to say and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that in him there is eternal life and salvation. And that's what he's offering this woman. This is what he's saying when he says, I have eternal water. I have eternal life to give you. Jesus outs himself to her. He proclaims that he is the good news that she's been waiting for. And immediately, she becomes an evangelist herself. So Jesus evangelizes to her. She receives the good news that Jesus has this living water and that he's the Messiah and that he's here to bring all things together in one place through God and that he is Lord. And this woman becomes an evangelist and she goes out to her neighbors. And this is what it says in the very next verse. It says, so the woman left her water jar didn't even bother to bring that. Went away into town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to this woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Amen. This 
is the good news of Jesus going forth. This is how evangelism happens. Jesus is Lord. He is the gospel, and he is the evangelist. He is the good news that's proclaimed to the world. And so when we look at Jesus and we see him living this out as the evangelist, there's kind of three takeaways that we can take from Jesus, the evangelist. The first one is that Jesus meets people where they are. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman in her territory, at her well, in her setting. He's just sitting there waiting for her, and he meets her there. In meeting her where she's at, he starts to reveal to her, and they start having this conversation about thirst and about living water, and he's trying to explain to her who he is. He's beginning to try to out himself to her, but she requires that they continue to meet her where she is, and she starts talking. He starts talking about like the broken family relationships within her within her life. That the husband that she's with isn't the isn't even the man that she's with now. That she's had five different husbands. So she starts talking about the brokenness of her family, and then she turns to this worship question. She starts talking about the brokenness of the Jewish family. That's even bigger than just the brokenness in her own family. And Jesus meets her in both of those places. He reveals to her all that he knows in her life that's broken. And he begins to say, this brokenness that you feel in your life and even in the family of Israel, I have come so that you might worship the one true God. And I am he and I am here. Jesus outs himself and he gives her the good news. And the good news is that salvation is here. That I am living water and I'm here to give it to you. You just have to receive it. And she does, and she goes out into the city, and she evangelizes more, and she meets them where they're at, and she outs herself. She's like, you've got to come hear what I just heard. You've got to come see. And Jesus contextualizes the gospel to them. I mean, what an amazing message is it to the Samaritans that the Son of God, the Messiah, who is promised to the Jews, is standing in Samaria where they feel like that they are rejected, that they are illegitimate, and that they are not seen or heard by God anymore. And here God is, the Messiah in the flesh, saying, I see you, I hear you, and you are mine. Jesus is saying, you know how you want to bring the family back together. It's starting right now, and I am here, and I am he, and there is salvation for you also today. And that is good news. That is good news to the Sumerian people that God sees them and God hears them and God legitimizes them. And he's here to offer them love and truth and salvation through his son. And so this is a pattern that you and I can also use when we evangelize people is that we're called to meet people where they're at. We're called to out ourselves so many times we're ashamed of our faith, we're ashamed to be Christians, we're afraid how that's going to be taken. But I have found that as you engage in conversations, as you're authentic with people, and if you just begin to say like, hey, would you mind if I pray with you for that? People are like caught off guard, but they also like, you know what, I'm not going to say no to prayer right now. Like, people are very open to prayer. And then a couple weeks later, you just ask them, hey, how's that thing going? And they're like, oh, actually, it improved. And you say, praise God, and you walk away. You know, like you just, you just live how you live because you're a Christian and you out yourself and you live as a disciple and as a follower of Jesus and you live that publicly. 
in a way that's dripping with kindness and goodness and generosity. What I love about the beginning of Ephesians 4 is that it says that you lead a lift worthy of your calling with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with each other in love. This is meeting people where they're at and outing yourself and contextualizing the gospel where you are. The heart of the evangelist rings from this verse that's found in 1 Peter. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, the heart of the evangelist is found in 1 Peter where he says, always be prepared to give an answer and the reason for the hope that you have within you and that when you give it, that you would give it with gentleness and kindness. That we would know the reason for the hope that we have and that we'd be able to give that away with gentleness and kindness to everyone we encounter. And so the question for us this morning is, what is the hope that you have? How does the goodness and how does the message that Jesus is Lord and that salvation has come and that redemption and forgiveness is here and it's available now, how does that give you hope? How does that give you good news? How is that message good news to you in your life? Because the reality is, is that you can't give away something that you don't have. And so if the message of Jesus doesn't stir you, if the message of Jesus doesn't give you hope, if the gospel doesn't create a good news message inside your own heart, then you have nothing to give away. You have no answer to this question of what is the hope that's living inside of you? And so that's the first question that we have to ask ourselves this morning is, is the hope of the resurrection of Jesus, is the hope of the gospel of Jesus living inside of me? And if it is, how is he calling me to give that away? How is he calling me to go and give the good news of Jesus away? And the reality is is that the good news of Jesus, although it's universal, meets each one of us in our own places. The Holy Spirit contextualizes himself to us. And so if you were to look at your faith journey over time, there are some themes that God begins to show up time and time again that points to the big G gospel that Jesus is Lord, but also provides us with kind of like a little G gospel that is, what is the good news of God and his gospel that's been lived in my life? And so when I look at my life and I look at how God has shown up, I just look at God's faithfulness. There have been times and times again in my life where I just looked into the future and I did not know it was coming. Or there was times of pain and times of brokenness and I didn't know where to turn next. And God was faithful and God provided And so when I engage people, there's a part of my story that's always going to turn people back and proclaim, guess what? God is in this. God is near. God is present. And he he is so faithful. The woman at the well, the good news that she receives from Jesus is this idea that I see you. She didn't have to tell Jesus about the broken relationships in her life. Jesus looked at her. He saw her, he knew, he proclaimed that to her. And then he's in here, he's in Samaria, where they feel not seen, where they feel not heard, where they feel not legitimized. And Jesus is like, look, the Messiah is here, and he's here for you too. I see you, and I know you. And so maybe some of the good news that you carry with you is that you know that God sees you. That our God is a God who sees and that he saw you and that he sees other people in the situations that they're in. And that's going to be the thing that you use to contextualize the gospel that you can hand to other people and say, you know what's good about Jesus? You know what's compelling about the God that I worship and serve is that I know that he sees me. And he's seen me in these ways. And I know that he sees you too. 
That's how you give this away. That's how you begin to proclaim the gospel and the good news of Jesus wherever we are. The evangelist is continually asking themselves, Sorry, I got ahead of myself. That's all right. The, good news, the evangelists continue asking themselves, who has God placed in my life today that might be open to the good news of Jesus? And when we ask ourselves this question, the answer to who these people are, we call people of peace. So the question that the evangelist asks is, who is in my life that might be open to hearing about the good news of Jesus. And these people are called the people of peace. And we can know who the people of peace are in our life by asking some of these questions. And those questions are, do they like me? Because people of peace in your life, they will like you. You know, when you meet a person, there's just kind of that instant connection. You're like, there, there might be something here. They might be a person of peace. The first thing is that they like you. The second thing is that they welcome you. They invite you into their life. They invite you into something. They share something that's just a little bit vulnerable. And you're like, okay. Well, they like me, and we've been vulnerable. We've shared something together. And then finally, they serve you. And that's how you know that you've arrived at this place where there is a connection, and this person is a person of peace, and this person is a person that you can grow in relationship with. This is basically relationship building 101. And how do you build a relationship with people? Well, is there a connection where they like you? Is there a place where they welcome you? And is there a place that they serve you? And what I found is, is that the way that we grow the people of peace in our lives is by living as people of peace to other people. That we go around looking for ways, looking for places to like other people. We're looking for places to welcome other people into our lives, and we're looking for other places to serve others. And when we do these things together, we find ourselves in natural community with one another. So I want to share an example of how I came across a person of peace in Madison just the other day. The other day I had been thinking about getting a new bike or getting my old bike fixed up. And I arrived early to a coffee meeting and I just so happened to park my bike in front of a bike repair shop. And I was like, that's interesting. So I went inside and I talked to the guy and I started to explain all of the things that were wrong with my bike. And he's like, yeah, we can fix that up. He's like, here's a general quote. He's like, but I'll need you to bring it in. And when I met him, I was just like, I like this guy. He's a cool guy. And immediately I was like, this is the guy. This is the guy I'm going to go to. This is the guy that's going to fix my bike. So the, the next week, I intentionally went to his bike shop, brought my bike, brought it in. We start doing the quote. We start talking. And I noticed that there's some motorcycles in his bike shop as well. And I drive a motorcycle. I ride a motorcycle, and I'm interested in them. And I start asking him about his motorcycle. And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, that was last year's winter bike. He's like, this one behind the counter, this is this year's winter bike. He's like, here, come and see. And so there's a chance where it's like, all right, this guy likes me, and he's welcoming me behind the counter to come and see his, his motorcycle. And not only that, he says, you know what? Throw a leg over the motorcycle and, like, try it out. And if you know anything about motorcycle cultures, that you just don't touch another guy's bike. Like, it is like the holy of holies to be invited to sit on another dude's bike and to try it out. And he's just like, you know, it's got these big chopper handlebars. He's like, you can just kind of imagine the wind. I mean, this is back when it was, like, still 20 degrees out a couple weeks ago. He's like, but you can just imagine it, right? And I was like, oh, I can imagine it, all right. He's like, yeah. So he tells me about his bike. I'm interested. I leave my bike. I leave 
the next day my bike's done and I come back and he's showing me everything that he did to my bicycle. He's like, yep, I did this, I did this. And he's like, and then I, I threw some things in here for free. He's like, I did this because it needed this and, and it was no big deal. And so he's serving me now. And then as I'm about to leave, he's like, hey, he's like, I don't know what your summers look like, but he's like, if you ever want to ride around Madison and just like, you know, feel the wind in our hair like we talked about, he's like, I'd be open to that. Like, just hit me up, just come, come get a hold of me and we can go ride our motorcycles together. And as I walked out of there, I was like, this guy, this guy is a person of peace. And the question that I started to ask myself as I left is, what is the good news that I have that he needs? And I don't know the answer to that. So I gotta go ride some motorcycles. I gotta go hang out with this guy some more. But this is what it looks like to engage in evangelism. This is what it looks like to see who the people of peace are in our lives. And if you're an evangelist, the primary question that you're asking is, are there new people entering the kingdom? Are there new people entering the kingdom of God? Your heart is wired for the broken, for the lost, for the marginalized, and you're asking, do these people that need the kingdom of God the most, do they know? And are we going out to them? And are we serving them? And are we loving them? And are we providing opportunities where the good news can go forth and affect and change their lives. You see, the reality when I talk about people of peace is that evangelism isn't just a one-and-done thing. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get nervous about evangelism because I think at some point I've got to like work in this weird way that I'm going to talk about Jesus and then I'm going to have to ask them, so do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord or not? Like, can we check that off or not? But the reality is, is that it's much easier to see evangelism as a life lived together. We talk about sharing life together here at Damascus Road. And I believe that shared life is a key piece of what it is to evangelize someone. It's to enter into a relationship with somebody and walk with them towards Jesus. And so I think instead of seeing evangelism as just like, do you believe that Jesus is Christ? Do you believe that he is Lord of all things, yes or no? We can begin with them on a journey of meeting them where they're at, outing ourselves as a Christian, and begin giving them good news that God has given us in our lives to be able to share with them. And we can walk with them on a journey that looks more like a scale than an instant yes or no thing. And so the shared life looks like this. As you meet people of peace, you begin to ask, where are they on the scale? So the scale zero is when someone actually says yes to following Jesus, is actually at the space where they're like, yes, I'm willing to submit to Jesus Christ as Lord in my life and give my life to them. So most people of peace are somewhere in the negative range of zero. We just have to ask, where are they in the scale, because that's where we have to start. We have to start where they are and meet them where they're at and then be able to move and walk with them literally one click at a time towards zero. But guess what? Zero isn't the end. A lot of times we think if we get them to zero and if we can say yes to them following Jesus, the evangelist sometimes is like, my work here is done. Let me go find somebody again at negative five and do it all over again. But the, the goal is moving people towards Jesus, and Jesus is five and beyond. And what oftentimes happens is the evangelist, when they dust their hands, the person that just got to zero like, turns around and looks for the evangelist and like, where did you go? You brought me from negative five to zero, and now I want to get to five, and where are you? 
And so the mature evangelist understands that the call is to move people towards Jesus no matter where they are on the spectrum. We've got an example of this in a really kind of micro situation. A couple of years ago, a couple of autumns ago, um, for fun and on the side, I drove Uber because I love connecting with people. I love meeting people in the city. I thought it was an interesting way to meet people and share life with people and make some money all at the same time. And so I drove Uber with some people and had some incredibly interesting conversations. Because what happens is when you drive Uber is that the number one question that people ask you is, well, what's your other job? And my other job is I'm a pastor, so I get to out myself pretty quick. And when I out myself pretty quick, that reveals where they're at on this scale, depending on what their reaction is. And for some people, it brings them from like, we were having a nice conversation where they're like, no, no, no. And one guy just literally stopped talking. Like, he just didn't know what to do. And I was just like, all right, my goal here is for you to feel loved and for you to feel respected. And for you to have a pastor who might feel like has seen you, and I see that you are freaking out. <laughs> and it's okay. And it's okay. But more times than not, more times than not, people are at like a negative two, negative three. They'd be like, oh, you're a pastor. They're like, and they would start talking about how faith was once a part of their life and how faith isn't a part of their life now and how there was hurt and how there was pain. And they would begin to confess things. And I'd be able to begin to share why Jesus is compelling to me and why I do the work that I do. And they would be like, man, I have not met a pastor who... Um, has been able to articulate why they love Jesus and, and the work that they want to do in the city. And they're like, if, if more Christians were like you, maybe I'd be interested. And I just want to be like, more Christians are like me. You just don't know them. <laughs> and it's because we've settled. We've settled inside, church. We have not seen ourselves as those who are called out into our community to share life with them and to increase the number of people who are entering the kingdom of God. And this is why we need the evangelist among us. And so in that little car ride, my goal wasn't to try and bring somebody from a negative three to zero or a negative three to one, but it was to meet them at wherever they were and try and move them one little tick. And hopefully they get in someone else's car or they meet another pastor or they have another conversation and God is doing this thing in their story that is moving them closer and closer towards him. See, evangelism looks and takes on a bunch of different forms, but it is primarily about declaring the good news of Jesus wherever we are. And so the question is, how do you know that you're gifted and wired as an evangelist? So let me tell you a couple things that might be true of you if you're, if you're an evangelist. The first one is that you naturally connect with people. You're a people person. You find yourselves in the role of gathering people. You just love to invite people over. You love to gather people. You're networked in a bunch of different spheres of communities, and you enjoy bringing and smashing those communities together and just seeing what happens. You get, you're like, what's going to happen when we bring these? I think it's going to be good. Like You're excited about that. You find yourself networked, and you bring them together. You might be a person that rallies people to an event, that rallies people to buy a product. You might be a person that rallies people to accomplish a goal. Um, if these things are true of you, you're probably an evangelist to some degree. And what happens to the evangelist is that the evangelist goes out and the evangelist has an experience with something. And that experience brings them life and that experience brings them joy. And then they feel like it's their responsibility to tell everyone else about this experience that they had that brought them life and joy because they want others to share in life and joy with them through this experience. 
And so the evangelist is many times this person who just goes around and is always telling you about the latest movie that they watched. They're like, did you see this movie? It was amazing. They're also telling you about the latest product that they buy. They're like, I just bought this product and it has revolutionized my life. They talk about the conference that they just went to, the trip that they just went on, the restaurant that they just ate at, the food that they just ordered at that restaurant, and how it was better than anything that they'd ever experienced before. You guys know these guys in your life, right? Maybe you are this person where you're just like, I want people to know the goodness that's out there in the world. This is what the evangelist does. Now, there are two different types of evangelists. There's the immature evangelist and there's the mature evangelist. And we've encountered both, I think, in our lives. But the immature evangelist, they're the guy or gal who's always talking about what's next, what's going on. They're talking about their latest vacation, their latest product. But they're just there to talk. They're just there to kind of like brag about the latest experience that they had. And they're like, maybe you should get it too. But really, it's about them. And you're like, that person's just a bunch of noise. And we end up turning that person off. Maybe you got something in your mind of like who that is. But then there's the evangelist who comes in with tact, who has experienced some things, but is holding on to things to be able to share it at the right moment. And so a mature evangelist would be somebody at work or somebody in your community who hears that you're getting ready to go out to dinner for your anniversary. And so they know of some really good spots in the city. But that's not where they're going to start the conversation. Instead, they're going to start the conversation of like, oh, you're going out for your anniversary. Do you know where you're going? No. I don't really know where I'm going. I need, I need some ideas. Well, tell me about your spouse. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about how did you guys meet? What was that experience like? What kind of food do you guys like? What kind of atmosphere are you looking for? And they're just sitting there, uh-huh, uh-huh. They're like, you know what? I think I've got a place. I think I've got a place that you should take your date tonight. They have the most amazing food. This is the menu item that you should have. It's delicious. It's amazing. Hey, guess what? I have a gift card for you. You should take it and go and have it on me. It's going to be an amazing night. Go and enjoy. Now, that's an evangelist who meets us, who sees us where we are, and is able to contextualize the good news of this restaurant so that you can celebrate the evening together well. And that evangelist in a couple days is going to come back and and whether or not you went to the restaurant that they pointed you to, they're going to ask, how did it go? How was your anniversary? There's a little bit of follow-up. There's this idea of we are sharing life together and we're moving towards goodness. And the reality is, church, is that you and I, we haven't been just given good news about restaurants and about menu items, but we've been given the good news of Jesus that Jesus has seen us in our greatest need and he's come to save us and that he is Lord of all and that when Jesus is Lord, it is a good thing. Just like in my life, when I give up control, when I open up my hand, God is able to do incredibly more good than when I try and close it and hold it on my own. The good news of Jesus is that he has come, that he's come to set us free and that he's called us to live in community with him and with one another. And that's the news that we get to go and ultimately share with the world. Now, it can begin with dinner. It can begin with inviting people over and sharing a meal together. But as we go across the scale, we move closer and closer to zero, to where eventually we're going to have to ask the question of, 
do you believe that Jesus is Lord of your life and that that's a good thing for you and for the world? And hopefully at that moment, the answer will be yes. And so if you believe that God is growing you as an evangelist in our world, some questions that you can be asking yourself is, what is the good news that Jesus has given me? What is the good news that Jesus has given me? Do I out myself in my community? Do people in my community, would they be able to say, I know that you're a Christian? I know that you believe in Jesus. Would they be able to know that? Would they be able to articulate that in a positive way? Because you've been gentle and humble and meek and pointing towards unity and love. You know, we all know the guy that's the Christian in like not the good way, right? They're like, oh yeah, Bob, we know about Bob. You know, that, that's not what we're going for, all right? We're going for, we out ourselves and it's good news to people that we are Christians. The question is, who are my people of peace? Who is God bringing into your life? Maybe it's at the coffee shop. Maybe it's in your home. Maybe it's at your workplace. Where are you at that God is bringing people into your life that he might be asking you to grow and enter into relationship with? And then finally, the question is, is what is the goodness that my people of peace need to hear? What is the good news that they need to hear? And how can Jesus meet them in it? And how can I be the vessel that that gets communicated to them through? And so where I want to end this morning is with a question to us, the church. Because some of you are called to be evangelists. Some of you are living as evangelists, and people are coming to know Jesus, and people are being saved, and you are moving them, and you are walking with them closer and closer in relationship to Jesus. For some of you, the idea of being an evangelist is the most terrifying thing in the world. You're like, people, I don't do people. Talking to people, I don't do that either. Seeing people, meeting people, I don't do that. But the reality is, is that Jesus has given us all the ability to share the good news. And he has given us all the good news in our own heart, in our own way that's good news to us. And so we have to know what is the good news that Jesus gives us? What, how has Jesus changed our lives? And how does he want us to give that away to others? And so to, this morning, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit back to last week to the prophet. The prophet is the one who hears from God. And so if you're in this place where evangelism isn't the most natural thing to you, I want you to enter into this place where God can guide us and lead us and maybe bring some people to mind. And so the first question I want to ask us is, who is God calling me to share life with? Because I believe that's the first step to evangelism. It's just, who is God calling me to share life with? Who is God calling me to invite them into something? How am I being called to invite them into something? So, you know, whoever God brings to mind to share life with, the next question is how? How do I share life with them? And maybe it's just dinner. Maybe you just need to pick up the phone and say, hey, do you want to come over and bring your kids over and we'll, we'll make dinner and we'll just share dinner and life together. And we'll just enjoy the evening and the chaos of having both families together would be. Maybe that's the first place. Maybe it's a, hey, let's go get coffee. And I just want to hear about life. How's things going? What's going on in your life? Maybe it's an invitation into your family. Maybe it's a family vacation. Maybe, I mean, I don't know, that'd be crazy, but it'd be also kind of really awesome to be like, hey, we're going camping. You like camping? Let's go camping together. And let that be an invitation on how you share life together for a weekend. Maybe the invitation is the church. We've got Easter coming up where we proclaim good news. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. 
And the reality is that we have people in our community who are just waiting to be invited to come to church. I'm, invi- I'm reminded of Brenda's story a couple weeks ago where Brenda's like, she was just waiting there and she said, I was waiting for somebody to invite me to church. And I believe that there are our neighbors, there are people in our workplaces, there are people where we gather and where we are in community together who are just waiting for an invitation. And I don't know about you, but this church is a part of the good news story that God has for me. The community that's shared here, the vulnerability that's shared here, the growth that happens here, like this is good news. And so maybe there's some people who you know they're just isolated and they need community and they need plugged in. And maybe you feel like I'm not the person that can be that for them, but I know that Damascus Road, we the church could be the community that's for them. And so you say, hey, come and see, come and join these people where church isn't just about singing worship and it's not just about hearing from God, but it's also about sharing life and it's about being vulnerable. It's about sharing stories and being messy and serving one another during the week. And we try to live in the giftings that God's given us as we, the church, together. And I think there's a place for you. And I think that God sees you and God's inviting you to know him through this community that is the body of Damascus Road. Maybe inviting them to church is too big, too intimidating, too big. Maybe, but maybe your community group or your small group is a place where you can invite them and it's a point of entry. I want you to start to begin thinking creatively of how can I begin to engage in the calling and the gifting of the evangelists because that's what we, the church, are called to do. We are called to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus. So I want to take about a minute of silence and just pray into, God, who who is in my life that you're calling me to share life with? And how are you calling me to invite them to share life with me in? So let's just enter into that prophetic space and just pray and just hear what God might have for us in that space. If God's bringing anyone to mind, I want you to write that person's name down. And I want you to begin to ask God, how am I being called to invite them in? What is the next step? Is it coffee? Is it game night? Is it dinner? Is it watching their kids? Even though that's not being with them, but that would bless them, that would serve them. What is the next step, God, so that we can declare good news to your people around the world? God is faithful, that God sees them, that God wants to be their father, that God wants to love them, that God wants to forgive them, that God wants to restore them. What is the next step for the person that he's bringing to mind for us to live into? And I challenge you to go into this week thinking of that and praying into that, and as we hear from God that we would also respond that we take any fears, any, any what-ifs, any buts to God, and we'd say, God, we surrender these things to you and help me act in obedience towards the next step for this person. So what we're going to do is we're going to enter into a response time, and we're going to worship God together, and we're going to celebrate the good news that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King, and that he's here to offer salvation and new life to all of us right here right now. And we're going to participate in that, in the declaration of that good news by participating in communion, that Jesus gave up his life, that he had his body pierced and his body broken and his blood poured out for the forgiveness of you and me. 
so that we would have good news, that we'd have good news to celebrate in community, that we'd have good news to go out and share into the world. Would you guys pray with me and with the worship team coming up? Dear God, we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for the evangelists that you brought into our lives to bring us to this place today to where we were able to say yes to the gospel, that you are Lord and that you are King. God, we thank you for the many evangelists who are faithful, who met us at negative five, who met us at negative ten, and who walked faithfully with us, and who continue to walk with us today as we move closer and closer towards you and the goodness and the promises that you have for us. God, I pray that you would equip us and that you would have the evangelists in our church rise and that they would go forth and that they would share the good news of you and your kingdom to the world that's around them. And God, to us where the evangelist is the last gift, where it's the most terrifying gift, God, I just pray that you would begin to break in and that you'd give us an imagination of what it would be look like to connect with a person of peace in our life that we would begin to imagine what it would be like to share good news with them, and that we'd begin to enter into places of deeper and more vulnerable relationship that leads us and them closer into relationship with you, God. God, we thank you that you gave it all for us, that you saw us in our greatest need, and you counted us worth saving and worth loving. God, we give you all the praise and glory for that. And give us courage to share that with the world. In your name we pray. Amen.